the journey that I've took you on over the last four weeks as we journeyed through Galatians, the third chapter, as we journeyed through Romans 9, 10, and 11, as we journeyed through Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3, we journeyed through John chapter number 8, we connected to an ancient covenant promise made in Genesis chapter number 12, made to Abraham and his seed after him, that in Abraham and his seed all the nations of the world would be blessed. And we arrived at Paul's conclusion. We joined our faith to Paul's conclusion, and that is God tore down through Christ the middle wall of partition that separated both Jew and Gentile that believed in Christ. And he said in Ephesians 2, he made of twain one new man. We learned in the book of Romans that what in essence it's saying is the, the Israel of old and the promises made to Abraham and his seed found their fulfillment in Christ. And so therefore, whether you are Jew or whether you are Gentile, meaning simply non-Jewish by natural heritage, that if you put your faith in Christ, then you connect to those covenant promises that were made to Abraham and his seed. Now, as we contemplated and to a degree concluded last week in Romans chapter number 11, the 17th verse is one that I think is so full of, of just truth that we should just meditate on. That it simply, it's using the analogy of the olive tree. You remember this. And the apostle said that Israel who doesn't believe, even in his day and in our day as well, Israel who doesn't believe in Christ are broken off branches. But there was always a remnant that did believe. Always. There was never a moment when all of God's people had apostatized. He always had a living remnant. But he broke off unbelieving branches to allow the Gentiles to be grafted in. And when the Gentiles are grafted in to the olive tree, then he said these words, you can partake of the root and the fatness of the tree. And it's a revelation to us because as we contemplate ancient Israel, we recognize that they received promises. They walked in covenants. They were chosen by God, favored by God. And oftentimes I have seen the church uh, in our culture think of Israel as chosen and almost the church as stepchildren. And that means we have not rightly divided the word of truth because the word of truth is he took two and made of one new man and so therefore you and I can draw from this ancient root which is believing Israel and that anointing that was promised certainly to both Abraham and his descendants we draw and extract from it it lifts our countenance. We're able to go to the word of God at times of need and trial. I'm not of Jewish descent by natural heritage, but I can read the promises of the Psalms just as if I was. I can read the promises of Isaiah. I can read the promises and even glean from the principles of the law and extract them and, and, and gain confidence and faith through the word of God because I've been grafted into the olive tree. Amen? Now, it's a powerful revelation, and it's something that you're not going to get in a 40-minute window or 45-minute window of time hearing me preach. You're going to have to take the thought and meditate upon it and ask God to open your eyes, open your heart, because it is truly liberating. 
freeing us. I'm telling you, when you have a confidence that God chose you, I mean, think about that. One of the words to Israel was that when they faced their enemy, the enemy would be greater in number than they were, more uh, you know, effectively armed in the uh, warfare tactics of their day. But God had told them to not allow that to hinder their faith, but that their faith was to be in God, not in their own army. Well, those principles are alive today, church family. They are to us. And so you and I, when we face challenges in life, we are to know that God has his hand on us. And he's going to bring us through the ups and downs of life and the trials of life. But what I want you to begin to see today is I want to take this analogy just a little bit deeper. As the Apostle Paul in Ephesians has spent a great portion of the end of the first chapter and uh, almost the entirety of the second chapter and a portion of the third chapter validating this principle as he spoke concerning in the second chapter that we were Gentiles in the flesh, we were foreigners to the covenants of promises, we were without hope and without God in this world. But now, he said, in Christ Jesus, been quoted to you for two weeks now, you who were afar off, the Gentiles, and you who were near, the, Gen- the Jews who believe, have been brought together to make that one new man. And so therefore we walk in these covenant promises. Then in the fourth chapter is a verse that starts a dialogue that will run all the way through the sixth chapter and the ninth verse. We're only going to read one verse today. I'm going to encourage you that I'm going to allude to portions of the fourth and the fifth and even perhaps the sixth chapter and just in nuggets, but you're going to have to read that on your own because once Paul starts down this vein, he stays with it all the way and I want you to see it. And I want you to see in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Now, Paul has clarified, it's the 17th verse, as Paul has, is writing to the, the, the church at Ephesus, he's spent time building their uh, understanding of being grafted into this olive tree or being made one new man, heirs to covenant promises. But then he speaks directly to Gentile believers for just a moment. Not that he's trying to segregate, but the Jewish believers that had faith in God and faith in Christ have a discipline that was already in place. They had disciplined their lives and lifestyles through the law through adhering to the law of Moses. But these Gentiles who didn't know the law of Moses, didn't know the covenant promises, but now they got saved and they're brought into the church, Paul speaks very directly. And I love from the 17th verse to the 9th verse of the 6th chapter because, man, it is just the meat and potatoes of holy living. It's just right down at your level speaking directly to us at a place that all of us can understand whether you are trained the Logically, or you are just ignorant to these things, but, but you're wanting to learn. Paul just speaks directly to you and just notice the words right here. He said, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth from this time forward, he said, don't walk as other Gentiles walk. He said, now when he's using the phrase walk, he's not talking about as I'm doing in front of you walking on the platform, but he's simply talking about don't follow a pattern of living as the other Gentiles who walk in the vanity of their mind. Now to the Apostle Paul, there were only two people groups. Now previously there had been Jew and Gentile. 
But now, because of one new man, there's the Israel of God, and then there are unbelievers. So let me take that further. To Paul, they're saved and unsaved. Lost and found. Believers and unbelievers. Nothing has changed. It's still that way today. No matter how we dress up people's religion or not, you're either born again by faith in Christ Jesus or you're lost and without God. There's no middle ground. There's no partition. There's no variation of people groups. You're either genuinely, uniquely born again in a covenant promise of God or you are needing to be born again and to come into this kingdom. So Paul is saying to the Gentiles, now he's speaking directly to them because, again, they didn't have the mechanism of training that the Jewish brothers did because I'm telling you that good works are ordained by God for us to walk in them. God wants you and I to live our lives in a, in a manner that's pleasing to him. And it's not do anything and, 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 and anything goes and everything that feels good. That's not the way that the, 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 the Christian life should be lived out. Our life is to be conformable to his will. We are not our own. We have been bought with the price. We are to be transformed from this what we are now into what he desires us to be. Let me read that very passage, that one, the several verses there, that same verse, and expound on it even in a couple of other translations. Now, it evolved further in the latter portion of the 18th and the 19th verse. He's saying this, look, the other Gentiles, they don't understand this one true God. So therefore, King James English, they practice lasciviousness. That's not a word that you and I use in everyday English, but it simply means unbridled sensuality. Every form of impurity and greediness, the Apostle Paul is looking at the people around the church at Ephesus, Gentiles who do not believe, and he's speaking to the Gentiles in Ephesus who do believe, and he said, now that you have come to faith in Christ, you are to not walk like you used to walk, live like you used to live, do what you used to do, or go where you used to go, or hang out with who you used to hang out with, or, or listen to what you used to listen to, or watch what you used to watch. Are y'all hearing me today? But you're to conform your life unto the plan that God has for you. Let me give you a couple other translations. I love these uh, different versions real quickly. Uh, usually I don't like a, 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 something like this one. It's called the contemporary version. All of these are Ephesians 4 and 17. But he said, as a follower of the Lord, I order you to stop living like stupid godless people. Well, you can't get any simpler than that. The Amplified Bible says, no longer live as the heathen do in the perverseness, folly, vanity, and emptiness of soul and futility of mind. The Jewish Bible says, do not live as the pagans live with their sterile thinking. The Living Bible says, live no longer as the unsaved do, for they are blinded and confused. The New Living Version says, you must not live any longer like the people of the world because they don't know God. I love what Psalm 1 says. It says, blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. We've got to arrive at the place, church family, where we once again see the distinction between what Christ has done in us 
and those who don't have that life that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Young's literal translation says, you are no more to walk as also the other nations walk. That's something we're going to connect to in just a moment in the vanity of their mind. Now, as Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, let's consider for just a moment the pagan worship of the people of Ephesus to which these Gentiles have now come out of. And in the center of Ephesus was a a, a Grecian temple to the goddess Diana. You can read about it in the book of Acts, the 19th chapter, and how that Paul's ministry is affecting the silversmiths who are building little shrines for the for the temple worshipers so that they can purchase little idols when they go to worship. She was a nude uh, female hunter who hunted deer under the light. No wonder I got so many guys out in the deer woods this morning. Some believe that there was occultic prostitution that took place through the temple. Others don't believe so with Diana, but there certainly was with other Roman, Grecian gods as we see in Corinthian or in Corinth. What Paul is simply saying, not just don't walk like the other Ephesians, Daryl, he's saying like the other Gentiles as a whole. See, the Gentile world that Paul is addressing in that particular, particular day was a very sensual people group that even at times sexuality was practiced on the street for everybody to see. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And so Paul is writing to them and he's saying, you, as he's making a cultural connection to who they are and where they are, he says this, and this is just summarizing it. Don't practice idolatry or sensuality or immorality or walk... uh, in an unholy or a greedy lifestyle. That's what Paul, and if you were to take the time to read further in the fourth chapter, he just is very direct. For whatever reason, our biblically illiterate generation that we're raising up today, people don't think that God speaks as directly to us in the epistles as he did in the Old Testament. God speaks as directly to us in the epistles as he did to ancient Israel. And he teaches us certain parameters that we can embrace and begin to walk a holy and a pleasing life. So what I have strived to do in my heart is to take those few passages, if you were to read them later, and from Ephesians 4, verses 17 on, and some of the little nuggets of truth that Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus and addressed it to the culture of his day, the immoral culture of his day, I'm going to transpose that to the American language that you and I speak and to the culture that we live in, and I'm going to exhort you as one that stands as a pastor and a teacher, and I'm going to challenge you this way. Don't live the wicked American hypocritical lifestyle that surrounds you every week of the year. You can't live like you used to live and you can't hang out with the folk that you used to hang out with. Let me just kind of put it as plain as I can some of the things Paul addressed directly to the people of his group. I'm going to address to the people of my group. It's time for people that name the name of Christ to stop shacking up. Marriage is still holy. If you want to be sexually active, get married. Hello, somebody. We're living in a culture that has degraded marriage right in front of us, and it's happening in the church. Stop sleeping around and stop living and dressing sensual. 
These are the way, these are words that Paul wrote to his culture. I'm just transposing it for you and I. He told those in his generation, don't be drunk with wine where it's in excess. I'm going to encourage you today, get off of drugs and get off of alcohol. I know that there's strong addictions. I know that, 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 that oftentimes it's difficult, but I will not accept that unbelief that says I was once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. I was once an addict, always an addict. I'm here to tell you, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. The power of Jesus' name is greater than any addiction, any stronghold, any bondage. If you believe, then you'll be free. But if you don't believe, you'll live your life in the bondage to an addiction. It is not the will of God for you to get up every day and have to put something in your body or drink something just to gain the strength of the day. You need to rise up every day and say, today is the day that the Lord has made. I am more than an overcomer through Christ Jesus, and I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Glory to God. We need to see a new move in the church today where men and women literally get set free. Let me challenge you a little further. This is my transposing of this ancient text Paul wrote to the Ephesian Gentiles who believed, I'm going to transpose it to you, it's time to stop watching immoral television programs and movies, filling your mind with lustful images and things that will cause you horrors in your dreams through the night just so you can entertain a weakness of your flesh that needs to be mortified in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, you, just because you got it don't mean you got to watch it. Don't sell your soul to this entertainment sports craze culture. Are y'all with me? Paul warned of covetous to his people, to the Ephesians that he wept over. Paul, Paul, Paul spent two and a half years in Ephesus, one of the longest tenures uh, stops of his apostolic journeys and missionary journeys. So he developed deep relationships with the Ephesian people. And, and he later wept and they wept when he would no longer see them. He knew that they would see his face no more and so did they. And, and so he really cares for them. And, and, and we live in a generation, we live in a culture that there's such a greedy pursuit of money. Listen, I thank God for resources and they're necessary and we thank God for them. But what doth it profit a man? to gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Don't sell your, fi your family out for monetary gain. Come on, somebody. Make a decision that you're going to learn to put off the old man. If you were to read further in that fourth chapter, Paul begins to use words like this. Put off the old man. Put him away, take him off, or put him to death. He says in Ephesians 5, the, er, the eighth verse, he reminds them, he said, you are the light, you are children, of the light. You are not of darkness. When are we in the American church in today going to begin to see ourselves differently? We are the Israel of God. Come on, somebody. That word Israel means prince of God. We need to live like princes and princesses and kings and priests and not be entangled in this uh, wicked, distorted world. If you were to read further in those passages of scriptures, Paul was very direct. I'll even use some King James English. He said, don't partake of these things. Fornication, which means sexual immorality, sexuality outside of marriage, or uncleanness, or covetousness, or foolish jesting. 
thing. Just because it's funny don't mean it's right. Hello, somebody. Doesn't mean just because you heard it in the locker room doesn't mean you need to be repeating it. Come on. And so Paul is speaking very directly to them. He said, don't be drunk with wine. Listen, he went even further. He said, don't be lying. Don't be stealing. Don't have corrupt communication. That means isn't it time to stop cussing and acting a fool? Come on, your word, you can become sanctified. James said the same fountain that gives forth sweet water should not give forth bitter water. Come on, and neither should we. We shouldn't uh, bless God and curse men. So we've got to get a hold of those things. Are y'all hearing me today? This is practical. This is mail at your address. It doesn't matter whether you've been church, saved and in the church for 50 years. This is just the apostle writing, and I am transposing it to you today that simply says there needs to be a conformity of our lives until we are no longer walking like the Gentiles that are around us. And we're confident in it. I don't have to do all those things. I find my grace in another place. Come on, somebody. Live a He said, put away bitterness, wrath, and anger. You don't have to live a bitter life. You don't have to be bound by unforgiveness. The power of the grace of God can empower you to forgive those who have hurt you. And when that happens, I'm telling you, there will be a liberty in your life, a freedom. I do remember the story years ago that was told of Corey Ten Boom when she lost her father and her mother in a Jewish concentration camp. And she had taken and she had written down in a little booklet the names of those that had hurt her and wounded her and those that had abused her sister. I said, I think, uh, father and mother, but it was father and sister and she had written down their names and, and, and in a book and one day as she was praying uh, 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 she heard God speak to her and, and, and he said this, he said, Corey, as long as you make a list, he said, then I got to make a list. But if you will get rid of that list, then I can get rid of your list. And she took that book and she threw it in the fire and when she threw it in the fire she said, oh, what the liberty and the peace that swept into her soul when she no longer was held in the bondage of anger, resentment or bitterness. I know some of you personally, I know you've been cut, I know you've been wounded, I know you've been hurt, but I'm here to tell you the anointing of God, the grace of God, and the mercy of God, and the Spirit of God that's on the inside of you gives you an ability to do something that the world cannot do, and that is to forgive your abusers. My goodness, that's a good word. He said, rather, rather live holy lives, be filled with the Spirit, be kind one to another. Be tender-hearted, forgiving one another. He went on in the fifth chapter, and all the women would say amen, to say, men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Stop living for you all the time, but give yourself for them. Does that make sense? Wives, respect your husband. Oh, it's real quiet in here. Let's just pick this up. I'll stay as long as I need to. Wives love, listen, husbands love your wife. She is a gift from God. Live life with that revelation. Husbands love your wife and, and protect her and recognize the gift that she is. But wives respect your husband. And if you'll do that, that will bring a cohesion to your marriage that may not be there. 
I know it sometimes by faith. I know it's a challenge. But that's why you've got to put off the old man and put on the new man. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit can you do those things. And i got a good word for all the teenagers that are under the sound of my voice. And I'm going to come down here. God speaks one word to you directly in the Scriptures. Get ready for it. It is this right here. Children, obey your parents. Whether you like it, whether you don't like it, whether you are mad, sad, or glad, that's your responsibility. If you want to live a blessed and a favorable life on this earth, Paul said, I'm going to challenge even the kids and tell them they need to honor their father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise. Are y'all hearing me? I know kids and teenagers can throw little hissy fits when they don't get their way and they want mom and dad to sell themselves out in a world so that they can have the newest electronic device and wear the most fattish clothes and they can get an attitude about it. But let me tell you, that attitude ain't working up in here. You need to shut your mouth and listen and honor your mom and dad. And if you do, then the favor of God will run you down. Glory to God. It will run you down. Just simple, just simple, everyday language the apostle uses to challenge us. We're going to make a, co- a connection and then I'm going to close today. I promised myself I wouldn't preach long, but I usually lie to myself <laughs> when I do that. Let's remember this in connection, in closing, this final vein of thought. Ancient Israel, we spent four weeks going all the way back to Genesis 12 to a covenant made with Abraham. Abraham, you're going to be blessed to be a blessing, how that liberates us from living our lives for ourselves. But now we live our lives as a conduit. Are you hearing me? Not as a reservoir. I don't want just blessing so that I can hoard blessing. I want blessing so I can share blessing. Isn't that right? And blessing is not just measured out financially. I don't know, for whatever reason, we took one of the principles of faith, which is prosperity, and somehow we distorted the minds of the American church, and we think that prosperity is always just measured out in financial resources. Financial resources are good. It's a great thing, and I value it. And I know there's rich and poor, and if I had a preference... But with that said, let me say this. Financial uh, prosperity is peace of mind. It's blessing in your home when everybody's not contentious to one another. It's facing adversity with hope. Come on, it's an ability to love people who other people cannot live. love. It's an ability to show forgiveness. That's what being prosperous and being blessed. I am blessed to be a blessing. It means when the world around me is sour, I can still have a smile. Come on, are y'all hearing me today? When the world around me is confused, I can have wisdom. When the world around me is, has, uh, is contentious, I can have peace. Are y'all with me today? Don't walk like the other Gentiles walk. Let me quote once again from the contemporary English. I order you as your pastor to stop living like stupid, godless people. That may be my favorite translation. I have to get a copy of that. 
I'm going to make a quick connection and I'm going to skip some of those verses of Scripture just for the sake of time today. I'm going to show you one thing in comparison and I'm going to bring it to a close just very quickly today because I know we've gone a long time as a whole and it's 1206. Well, give me just a couple minutes more. I've taken you to ancient Israel, so I won't go back through all of that again, but it was at the base of Mount Sinai that God promised ancient Israel before, as his glory came down and he said, I want you to know that you're a chosen people. I want you to see that you're a chosen people. And with a chosen people came certain responsibilities, parameters of life, so that they would live life different because, think with me for just a moment, he was taking them out of Egypt with practices that they had lived in for 400 years. He was sending them into the Canaan's land with seven nations still inhabiting the land with wicked pagan activity. And God said, I'm, I'm going to probably just go ahead and hastily and quickly move to Leviticus 18, Phil. We'll go there, and I probably will omit those verses in Deuteronomy that I wanted to go to, but for the sake of time, I'll, I'll omit all of those, and I'll conclude here with just these verses in Leviticus very quickly. I just want you to see this connection for just a moment because this is what God told ancient Israel. You can go ahead and post. It said, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel. Now remember, who are we today by faith? Who have we joined by faith? Come on. And say unto them, I am the Lord your God. Third verse. Now look at this. I drew your attention to this when I began this series, and I wanted you to see it one more time. After the doings of the land of Egypt where you used to dwell, four words, shall ye not do. Now God said, and where I'm going to take you to the land of the Canaan, where there are seven nations that, that live there. He said, where I'm about to bring you, shall you not do, neither shall you walk in their ordinances. But how are you going to live life? How are we going to live life? We're going to live as the Israel of God. He said, walk in my ways, for I am the Lord your God. Amen. Now, church family, what a precious thing it is that God has given to us his word so that we, through the discernment of the Holy Spirit and the revelation of the Word of God, you and I can live a life that's pleasing unto the Lord. It starts with a revelation that God chose you out of this environment, out of this place of sin, out of this position of sinfulness, out of a lifestyle of sinfulness and he wants to place you in to a life and a lifestyle that brings him glory and that allows him to bless you as you walk faithfully before him. Amen. Now, church family, go back in closing Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and I think Aaron's coming to join me on the platform. He said, this I say unto you, that you walk not as the other Gentiles. Isn't it time for a change? Isn't it a time? What would happen if we had a corporate movement in the body of Christ where the body of Christ once again began to see that God wants us to live a life that is distinctly different from the people around us? And it's measured out in every area from sins of the flesh, sensuality, places that we might have used to go, uh, people groups that we used to hang out with. That's one part of it. And another part of it is, again, that we have peace and grace and kindness and mercy. 
things that the world can't seem to understand. They don't understand how that somebody can hurt you and yet you still forgive them and you don't live your life in bitterness. Are y'all hearing me today? What, how are you able to, because I'm the Israel, are y'all hearing me? Because I'm not going to walk like everybody else walks. I'm not going to do all this. I don't have to. I just pray that we see a new generation in the church that just suddenly comes to a revelation that says, you know, I have been saved by God, called out of darkness, brought into his marvelous light. I'm not a child of darkness. I'm a child of the light. And I want to live my life different. It's a simple message connected to a much deeper theological position on the Israel of God. It slips to just from the 17th verse through the 9th verse of the 6th chapter, the 4th chapter, the 17th verse, through the 9th verse of the 6th chapter. It's just simple, everyday living principles. Walk in love. Forgive those who hurt you. Don't speak evil communication. Don't have foolish jesting. Don't be fornicating. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Just everyday simple things in life. But for whatever reason, the American church seems to want no part of it. We've lived in this blinded spot that simply says, I can say I love God while I live and love the world. I don't know. I don't get that when I read the Word of God. I see a distinction. God called me out of that so that I can help others get out of that and find the peace that I now have. And I can't have one foot in and one, are y'all hearing me, and have a testimony that's going to make a difference in anybody's life. I've got to have a testimony that says God brought me out and then he brought me in so that I can leave an example to you that if you'll trust God the way I trusted God, then your life can be changed as well. I believe that that's what the will of God is for the church of Jesus Christ. Don't live like those stupid people in the world. So, man, our pastor uses some strong language. I'm just quoting the word to you today, the contemporary version. I don't know who wrote that, but it worked for me today. I felt in my heart of hearts today in closing and the invitation that I'd give. Because I want to have just a group, group moment. I know it's late and everybody's movement's already happened, and that's okay. I felt among us would do two things. Number one, I felt there may be even somebody among us today that you knew about God, but you don't even, you really don't know God. Paul said that those unbelievers, their understanding is blinded. I'm telling you, if you have faith, God will let you see him today. He will. If you just simply have faith and trust in him, you can see him all together differently, but it starts in your heart. It starts by humbling your heart and saying, God, I need you. I, every one of us that were saved, that are saved under the sound of my voice, we had a realization in our life that we need Christ. Does that make sense? We just realized that, you know what? My peace is found in him. My redemption is found in him. And we opened our heart up and said, Lord, I trust you. Do you know what? There could be somebody here under the sound of my voice today that would pray a prayer that would open their eyes and they would see and know Christ and they would be forgiven of their sins. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing? Well, wouldn't that be an awesome thing? And in a moment when we pray, maybe somebody will make that decision. Secondly, I felt like there are people that if I just put it in just simple everyday terms, got right in the midst of your business, sent mail to every address, and said, God is just challenging you to not live like the American culture in which we reside, but live different lives. 
be distinct. Be, I'm not saying be arrogant. I'm not talking about creating legalism or anything that we've dealt with in the past. I'm talking about humbling yourself and knowing God has chosen me to be a blessing and he will bless me to be a blessing. Come on. Would y'all stand up today as we prepare to pray? I would like to ask us to do something.